You know, the Scriptures offer us a lot of information, especially about the blessings of God. And in recent months, we haven't had an opportunity, very often at least, to speak about the blessings that God provides. In some ways we have. But God makes it clear that He is blessing His people. He will bless His people. He will continue to bless His people. In fact, He offers us everlasting life. And this is a blessing from God because He could have just destroyed the whole world with us in it, but he didn't. He hasn't. And if we read in Deuteronomy chapter 11, we hear, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse, the blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. You know, he's talking about idolatry. He's speaking to his people Israel, but it extends to all of his people. Help me with this, Lord. Things pulling on me. Praise the Lord. Get it. Should have set it up sooner, but we were kind of busy this morning. Christ our, our Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what he said, okay? And he also said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Everlasting life is a blessing from Almighty God. And we find it written about extensively in God's Word, sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly. We find Christ is written of in God's Word, sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly. There are prophecies. It was foretold that He was going to come. It was foretold that He was going to live. It was foretold that He was going to be sacrificed, and it was foretold that He was going to rise from the dead. And it's foretold that He knew these things. And he also alluded to them many times in his teachings. When we look in the Psalms, we see David very often referring to Christ coming. Now, in Peter, in uh, 1 Peter, we read that he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God raised Him from the dead, and God promises to raise each and every one of you who are His. Everlasting life is the hope that we have in Christ. It is the hope that we have. It is something we possess. He gave His earthly life as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. All who name the name of Christ by calling themselves Christian are claiming to be like Christ, followers of His way, His way, not my way, not your way, His way. Now, we're going to read from Psalm 16, but before we do, I want us to pray. Heavenly Father, I surrender to you for, for you to take a hold of me today, to use me to your glory, Lord. Give me unction to speak. Give me unction, Lord, to preach. Help me, Father. Guide me. I yield to you completely. I surrender, Father. 
Take away anything that's blocking this, Lord, this message from going forth to your people. Enliven us with your spirit, I pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said, amen. Now, we can find the 16th Psalm in these Bibles in your seats there, if you care to look. Page 843 is where that is, page 843, and otherwise we'll have it up on the screen for you. 843 is Psalm 16, and this is a psalm of David, which is called a mictum. And a mictum is a uh, sort of a, I don't know what you, how, you, how you describe it. It's, uh, it shows one thing, but it tells another. And sort of like when uh, Benjamin Franklin said uh, many, what was it, how, how did he say that, many hits I don't know. He was talking about knocking down an oak tree. An oak tree can be felled with many hits. And what he's saying is it's an obvious truth. You hit that oak tree enough, it's going to come down. But as Christ is being revealed by David, who knew, he knew that he was coming through him. The Messiah was going to come through David. David tells this thing as if he's speaking of himself, but he's also speaking of Christ. So as we read this psalm, let's remember that not only is David speaking of himself, but he's also speaking of the Messiah. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord... You are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved." Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave me in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore, forevermore. I pray in Christ's name that God would... Open His Word to us. Make it sound in our hearts, I pray. Amen. In this psalm, David is prophesying about Christ, the Anointed One, who would come through His lineage. David knew that He was coming through His lineage. It was foretold. Now, in verse 7, we're going to pick up at verse 7. I'm not going to start with the first six verses because it really is talking about Christ. And uh, the focus of this message is on everlasting life. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. What's a night season? Sleep? Darkness? Whenever things aren't looking good, maybe? It could be all of those things. But at the very least, each of us who live our lives in Christ receives from God wise counsel, just as Christ did. In Christ, we receive wise counsel. 
we sometimes have to make decisions to do things that maybe go against us. Maybe we don't like those decisions, but it's wise counsel from above. Each of us who lives in Christ have the Spirit of God within us, and He teaches us how to please God. What is it that pleases God? We know praising pleases God. We know worship to God pleases God. We know obedience pleases God. We read that from Deuteronomy. Obey, and He's pleased, and you're blessed. The Holy Spirit lives within our heart, and therefore He instructs us continually even as we sleep. And see, we don't think about that. We go to sleep, and we don't think, well, God is speaking to us, or He's working in us, or He's doing something, but He is. When we think about what's written here in the 16th Psalm, we know that this was happening with Christ Himself. We know it was happening with David. That's two witnesses. And by the word of every two or three witnesses, every word is established. God wants to have that relationship with us. He wants to have that relationship where we will hear from Him and do what it is that He wants for us to do. It's written in Jeremiah chapter 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then the Lord answers. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And see, that is also a repeated theme in Scripture. We get what we deserve, and sometimes more than we deserve. It's written in Galatians chapter 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, what we plant, we will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And you see, it's foretold. It's foretold. We will receive everlasting life. It's very clear. God's Word gives us many opportunities to recognize that. As we go into Romans chapter 6, we hear this, but now, having been set free from sin, who's been set free from sin? Everybody who believes. Believers are set free from sin. We're no longer bondservants to sin. That is one of the blessings of God, and it is foretold that Christ would set us free. Having been become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. You see, it's foretold. We have everlasting life, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, eternal life. And we look at this life, and somehow we get caught up in it sometimes, and we forget that we have more than just this life. And we need to look beyond this life. We need to recognize that, yes, okay, we live this life in these bodies, and we are tempted as all are tempted, and yet we have that promise of hope beyond here. It's everlasting life. It's been foretold. Now, in Galatians in chapter 2, it is written, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Who's been redeemed? Absolutely. We are redeemed. We're set free. Okay? He's redeemed us from the curse because He became the curse for us. As it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That refers to Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 23. For that 
the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You see, our salvation doesn't come by our work. It comes through faith, faith in what God has done. Now, as we go on in that 16th Psalm, we read that David wrote, I have set the Lord always before me, and he's speaking of Christ and himself, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. As I was preparing this message, I had a lot of distractions. And I said, seriously, Lord, you got to make me feel this message before I can put it down on paper and the notes? I mean, that was really, it was difficult. It was difficult. This was a very distracting week. And I said, okay, I've got to know the message to be able to deliver the message. And I get that. But it was tough. If we keep our attention on Almighty God, He fulfills all of His promises. If we keep our attention on Him, we're always aware of His presence in our lives. And so we can turn to Him within ourselves, and we can pray, God, help me, or whatever the prayer is. For me, it's frequently, God, help me. (laughs) I need His help all the time. We know with certainty that He is with us. His Word makes that clear. In fact, Christ Himself said, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I will not forsake you. Think about that. If Christ is with us, do we want to walk outside of His path? Do we want to step off that path and go somewhere else? God forbid. You know, we can be absolutely like Christ in this way. He remained steadfast on the path that Almighty God had laid out for him. So this is the way. Walk in it. He remained consciously aware of the Father's presence at all times. And he went off to pray continuously. The Scripture makes it clear. Prayer is the answer. And no matter if we see the answers right there on the spot, we're so used to instant everything. And we expect somehow that God's just going to download the answer right there. And it doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't. And I can't explain that to you, except that I know God does hear and answer the prayers of the saints, those that He calls saints, those of us who are living for Him. He walked fearlessly. Christ was fearless. He had confidence in the Father's will. He knew. Even when he got down to the wire, he said, well, you know, if you can make this pass by, that'd be great, but not my will, but yours be done. But the toughest moment, when he was sweating blood, he said, your will be done. And that's where it really comes down to it, folks, because we may face a time when we are in that kind of a stress. It may come to us. And we have to be prepared to recognize that this life is not all there is, that we have everlasting life with Almighty God in His presence. If we look at the Scriptures, we will see more of that. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it's written, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And all we have to do is surrender our cares to Him. One of the big cares that I had as I was preparing this message was the distractions. It was a care. I said, okay, Lord, here you go. 
and he helped me finish my notes. Not in the timing that I wanted. It took much longer than I had hoped. But I did exactly what he wanted me to do because I cast my cares on him. And whatever those cares are, whatever those troubles are, whatever those things are that are disturbing you in your life, you can cast upon him. And this is like Christ, who turned to the Father, continuously turned to the Father. If God is with you, He is in you. And if He is in you, you can have that intimate relationship where you communicate with Him. That's what we call prayer. It's simple. It really is. In Psalm 27, it's written, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. See, sometimes we have to wait. And we don't like to wait anymore. That's why we have those lines that we go through, what do you call the drive-through. Everything's drive-through now. We don't want to wait. We want it now. Everybody wants it now. I've had people tell me that, and I don't want to wait. Well, God's Word says wait on the Lord. His timing is different than ours. One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So I don't know how that adds up in minutes, but I'll tell you, sometimes you've got to wait. That's how it is. He makes that clear. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Now, in Lamentations, it's written, the Lord is good to them that wait for Him. What? There's a blessing in waiting? <laughs> That's what the Lord says. To the soul that seeketh Him, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. You see, and there's a hidden reference to that resurrection that we will experience. It's everlasting life. And we have to wait for it. We don't get it today. We don't get it right now. It's not this instant thing. It's when God says it is. And we don't know when that is. There's nothing in the Word. In fact, Christ Himself said nobody knows the day or the hour except for the Father. Not even the angels. But we don't get that. That information is not provided in this book that we call the Bible. It's not provided by anybody through anybody. And if somebody tells you that they know, they're lying because God says only He knows. And that's not going to be revealed until it's time. We have to wait. But we have everlasting life, but we have to wait. Everlasting life, but we have to wait. How does that work? It's called patience patiently waiting on the Lord. Now, God wants us to be like Christ in this respect. Christ went through that whole time, that whole time that might have seemed like a thousand years going through that suffering. He went through that, waiting on the Father. And He wants us to be like that. He wants us to be able to wait now, in Psalm 62, we read this, Truly, my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. He is my salvation. He's your salvation. Your everlasting life comes only from Him and through Him. No matter what anybody else says, God wants us to be like Christ recognizing that God is there, even in those dark moments, whatever they are. In James chapter 5, it's written, Therefore be patient, brethren, 
Till the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And if that was written nearly 2,000 years ago, or maybe more than 2,000 years ago, he says it's at hand. Might he have been thinking in the eternal perspective? A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day, so it's been a couple of days, right? In the eternal perspective. But it's foretold. Everlasting life is foretold. It is weaved into James' writing. James was the brother of our Lord. He was the first bishop of Jerusalem. Foretold. Therefore, it's written in Psalm 16, 9, My heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Now, David is speaking as if he himself were Christ. He's speaking in terms that Christ was going through during the time of his crucifixion. He's relating his joy in the comfort of of God's presence. Remember, it's written that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And this is why his heart was glad, and he expresses joy and rejoices. David knew that the Messiah was coming through him. He knew that God was comforting him by being present. And David was comforted by God's presence. He's thankful. He's happy. He feels completely secure. And it's in the knowledge of God's presence. Do you know that God is with you? Do you know that you have that blessing? God is with you. You can be secure in that knowledge if, in fact, you're walking with Him, if, in fact, you are His, if, in fact, you are walking in His blessing. You can be secure in that in the sense that God is with you. He is present with you. And that might be hard for us to conceptualize, because we are human. We are flesh. How can God be with me when God is infinite? We don't recognize that He is so infinite that He can fit Himself into us. He can break down all the barriers that separate us from Him. And we can be confident in that knowledge that He is with us. It's written in Job. Job. Job was a man who suffered. In the 14th chapter, Job said, If a man dies, shall he live again? If a man dies, shall he live again? If a woman dies, shall she live again? And Later on, he writes, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, in other words, his body dies, deteriorates, he said, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Do you hear him foretelling the resurrection? In my flesh, he said. Now, Job, it's understood, is the earliest writing that we have of Scripture. Job's writing was the earliest, not Genesis, Job. There's some that argue about that, and I don't want to get into it. But anyway, 
We go on in Job, and what do we hear? This I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. He foretold the resurrection. He foretold everlasting life. He foretold this position that we have in Christ. Saved. Changed. Transformed. All of it's found right there. We're transformed into the image of Christ. We will have a new body, a resurrection body. And sometimes this life wants to throw all this thing, these things at us and make us think that maybe that's not possible, but God says it is. His Word is true. If you accept His Word, you can recognize that He brings that blessing to His people. Remember Ezekiel's prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 37. The first 14 verses talk about those dry bones. And Ezekiel says, will these bones live? And God shows them this mighty army rising up. It's that army of believers, God's people, who are going to live again. And that's clear. We have everlasting life. It's foretold. In Matthew chapter 22, we hear our Lord say concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And he's referring to Exodus there. I think it's 3 and uh, verse 6. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. We will live forever. We will have everlasting life. And this is something, whenever we're in the midst of life's problems, whatever they are, we can remember this because that's the hope that we have in Christ. Let it drive us to do the right things. Let it drive us to stay on His path, to walk the way of Christ instead of stepping off, instead of succumbing to temptation. Remember, it's written in Hosea. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. Do you hear the call for resurrection there? The promise of resurrection? I will ransom them from the power of the grave. This is the work of Christ. I will redeem them from death. What are we redeemed from? Death. The wages of sin are? Death, right. We're redeemed from that. <clears throat> There's an old hymn we used to sing. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed. Anybody? How's it go? Redeemed. Ah, okay. Amen. It's by the blood of the Lamb. That was ad lib. It's not in my notes. I will ransom them. In Revelation 20 and verse 40, 14, excuse me. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. You see, that death that comes at that time does not apply to us. Those of us who are redeemed by Christ will live forever. We will have everlasting life. Daniel chapter 12, it's written, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. Another reference there. 
foretold, everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Let's turn others to righteousness. He doesn't tell us just to tell them to say a prayer, come to a building like this. Just turn them to righteousness. Get them to follow the way of Christ. Get them to be like Christ. And part of that is discipling. It's teaching the Word. It's preaching the Word. It's instruction in righteousness. This is what His Word says. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. And it's written in John, most assuredly, our Lord said, I say to you, the hour is coming and now lives when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Another foretelling of everlasting life, the unending life. There will not leave my, excuse me, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, David wrote in verse 10. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And this is referencing Christ and David at the same time. And that word hell there is from Sheol, the Hebrew word, Hades, or the world of the dead, as if it's a subterranean retreat. It speaks of when people were buried. And it includes its accessories and inmates, the grave, hell, and pit. Now, in the second chapter of Acts, it's written that Peter quoted this passage from the 16th Psalm. And in his sermon after the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, Peter said it refers to Yahashua of Nazareth, Jesus, the one we call Jesus. And when you look at the, the language, it was Yahashua, that was his name. We call him Jesus. But anyway, Peter said, Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ. He's speaking of David, first of all, and then referring to Christ. He would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And Hades there, or hell, is translated from the Greek word Hades, it's the unseen, or uh, Hades, the place or state of departed souls. He's not talking about eternal torment, that place of torment, although nowadays it has become known only as that. When it was in the older languages, in Hebrew and in Greek, they were speaking of that place where people are buried, like the graveyard, okay? They weren't talking about that place of torment. Christ did not go into the place of torment. He was not tormented by the flames. He sinned not. Now, it's referring to that state of being physically dead, and David foretold Almighty God's resurrection of Christ. That's the point. Christ was the first fruits, the firstborn from the dead, and we all will benefit. We will have the blessing of everlasting life because of the work that He did. This prophecy was fulfilled on the third day after His death and His burial. He was resurrected. It was fulfilled. There were witnesses. They saw it. And then there were those who came out of the graves at that time. Hundreds of people came out of the graves, and there were witnesses to that. And this is all written in Scripture. As we go into verse 11 of the 16th Psalm, 
We hear this, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And we know that Christ was raised to the right hand of the Father. And he says, forever there is pleasure. Forever. Forever. It is unending pleasure. David, again writing of himself and of Christ, is honoring God and giving glory to God for showing the path to life. The word trained, uh, excuse me, translated shoe there, or show, is the primitive root word yada. He's saying it's an intrinsic knowledge. There's this deep knowing of the truth, the way, and the life. It carries a lot of meaning, but it certainly is a statement of gratitude for God implanting that knowledge of truth into him. David knew the Messiah was coming through him. David knew that the Messiah was going to redeem God's people. God provides intimate knowledge of the way of life through Christ in us. Christ in us shows us the way. Walk this way, not that way. It's the blessing and the curse. God has laid it out through all of His Word. And if we're really understanding His Word, it is not our work, it's His. He guides us. He directs us. He leads us. He paid the price. We can't pay the price. Our work comes out of our salvation. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His way is the only way. He's the Creator. He's the Maker. He's made these human beings that we inhabit these bodies. He tells us this is the best way to operate them. He tells us what to do, and not because he's a, a, a disciplinarian, although he is that. It's because he wants us to have the best life that we can have, and it's not that one that some other preacher talks about. It's life in him, and it's everlasting life. And his way leads to and sustains life. Thus saith the Lord, it's written in Jeremiah chapter 21, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Choose life. He makes it clear that's what he wants. In Psalm chapter 6, it's written, For the commandment is a lamp. Thy commandment is a lamp. And the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. And as we read on there, it says it keeps you from seduction. Keeps you from being seduced. Now, in Proverbs 10 and verse 17, it's written, He who keeps instruction is in the way of life. Who's in the way of life? Those who keep the instructions, right? This is where we started in Deuteronomy. Isn't that what Jesus said? He's the way, the truth, and the life. If you love Him, you keep the commandment. That's what He said. It's pretty easy. But he who refuses correction goes astray. Now, who's correcting us? It's Christ. The Holy Spirit's correcting us each and every step of the way. If we obey, if we follow where He leads, we can't go wrong. We can never go wrong by doing what's right in the eyes of God, ever. It doesn't lead us wrong. Now, if we look at Proverbs chapter 12, and verse 28, we hear this, in the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. Another illusion or a picture of everlasting life. Because we all die physically. But we are not going to die forever. We will live forever. And His Word makes that clear. In the way of righteousness is life. Who is our righteousness? Christ is our righteousness. 
He paid the price. In the way of righteousness is life, and there's no death in that pathway. It's everlasting life. It's foretold. Now, in Proverbs 15, we hear this, the way of life winds upward for the wise, that he may turn away from hell below. Be no death. We will live. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, I call heaven and earth as witnesses to gay against you. <clears throat> I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, and that you may obey His voice, that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. And he's talking about a physical land, but he's also referring to that heavenly land, Beulah land, that forever land, that place where we will live forever in the presence of Almighty God. We have that. That's the promise. It is foretold. Being in the presence of our Creator brings everlasting joy. And we'll be there forever. And we don't even know what that means. We can't even conceptualize what forever is. Because in the presence of God, there will be no time. And we will live in that eternal moment. You ever find yourself in a place where you're just so busy with things that maybe an hour slips by or two hours or more? When you just, that's the eternal moment. That's the, that's the presence of God. When everything is right where it needs to be, I encourage you. We have to remember that being in the eternal, unending presence of Almighty God is ceaseless pleasure. And I encourage you to bring yourself into the presence of God continuously. God inhabits the praises of His people, so praise Him. Praise Him. Lift up praises to Him. As you go through your day-to-day -day life, say, praise you, Father. Praise God. Praise the Lord. There's sometimes whenever I shout praises to the Lord so that I'm not shouting other things. I'm human, folks. You know, I hit my thumb too. Oh, praise the Lord! <laughs> That's the truth. My wife will confirm that for you. But turn to your Creator. Turn to Him for protection. He will protect you. No matter what assaults you in this life, God will protect you. Ask Him to put that hedge of thorns around you to protect you from the enemy. As we look at that first verse in Psalm 16, that's what He's talking about. Protecting His people. And Christ knew that He was protected. David knew that He was protected. And we all can have that same confidence that God will protect us. In Psalm 37, it's written, Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore, for the Lord loves justice and does not forsake His saints. Does God forsake us? Anybody? God doesn't forsake us. His Word says so. They are preserved forever. Now, some take that and they say, well, see that? You're preserved forever. You can do whatever you want. Ah, no, 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 because they skip over that part. Depart from evil 
and do good, and you're preserved forever when you depart from evil and do good. He doesn't forsake his saints, they're preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. Not just the wicked, but their descendants. And Peter said, it's written in Acts chapter 2, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call, it's promise for you. You will receive the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. And I believe much of the church has yet to comprehend what that means. We all can be filled with His Holy Spirit. And at some point, maybe in the near future, the Lord will lead us there and we can actually talk about what that means and what it looks like. But allow Him to pour His Spirit upon you. Allow Him to control you. Allow Him to run you. You're the vehicle. Just like you get into your car or your truck or whatever it is that you operate. You get in there, you operate it, right? Well, you turn over the wheel to God and say, okay, you run me, Lord. You drive. You take control. I just want to take a back seat. And I'm not going to... Me, I told him, put me in the trunk and lock me in. I don't even want... I don't even be near the wheel because I had this temptation to grab that wheel and start driving my life again. And I don't want to ever do that again. Make a mess of things. Let Him wash you. Let Him regenerate you. Let Him assure you of that thing that He calls everlasting life. It is foretold. It is foretold. Let Him pour out His Spirit on you abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord, our Savior. And remember what's written in 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Now, is he talking about this life? That's part of it. But it's everlasting life. You see, that's what's foretold, folks. And if you're not sure, if you think maybe you're off base somewhere, you want some prayer, I want you to come forward and we'll pray for you. Because God has everlasting life for you. And it was foretold. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord. Though we go through challenges here on this earth, even within this body of believers, Lord, we are challenged at times. We're challenged with our music team. We're challenged with the building and grounds maintenance. We're challenged, Lord, by so many things that some people can take offense at. But Lord God, we are turning to You for what only You can provide. We ask that You would put that hedge of thorns around each and every one of us, Lord. Protect us from the enemy. Lead us to depart from evil and do good. Help us, Lord, to recognize that we have Your everlasting life. That promise is our hope. Help us, Father. Help us to lead others to Christ for the remission of sins. Help us, Father, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, whatever it is that's getting between us and You, we confess it to You and ask that You would remove it. Please root Your Word within our hearts that we would be Your people. Set us apart, Lord, from any and all darkness. Let us walk only in Your light, I pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Everlasting life. Amen.